We are in uh, a sermon series going through the book of Acts together, and we're at Acts chapter 23. So if you've got your Bibles, your phone with version app, whatever that looks like, and uh, turn to Acts 23. We're not going to read through it and stand and all that this week like we have th- all throughout the book of Acts, but this is kind of like a larger portion of Scripture, and I uh, figured we'll just kind of walk down through it. Uh, and uh, so at Acts chapter 22, we talked about last week, if, in case you missed, I want to bring you back up to speed. The Apostle Paul almost gets killed, beat to death by an angry mob of uh, kind of Jewish believers in uh, Jerusalem. And it's kind of a, it's like a Tuesday for Paul, right? I mean, he gets, he's, he's just been like shipwrecked and stoned, left for dead, dragged out of the city. Um, things have just not always necessarily gone swimmingly for him. So he's, uh, he's getting beaten to death. The, the Roman commanders, uh, hear about the riot in Jerusalem, and this guy's getting beat up, and so he sends a bunch of soldiers. They rescue Paul uh, from the brink of death, and they start to take him back into prison, because they're like, well, I don't know what, what this guy did, but we got to get him out of here. And so he stops Paul and says, like, he's bloody, beatered, be- beaten, and, and battered, and, and abused, and he stands up. He says, wait, can I speak to the crowd? And so they're like, I, I don't know why you'd want to, but okay. So they give him the mic, he, he barely stands up on his own two feet and preaches the gospel. And he, he tells about how he came to faith in Jesus. And then the sticking point is this, that he says to these, these Jewish believers that Jesus died for Gentiles too. And they're like, oh no. And so they just flip out again. They start freaking out. They're rid him from the earth is one of the things that some of them are yelling and they're throwing dirt in the air. I don't know what that's about, but it's, they're just, it's just complete mayhem. And so they're like, oh my goodness. So they, they take Paul and they're like trying to get him out of here and quell down the, the crowd because of this, this riot. And um, the commander is ready to flog him because they're like, I don't know what, what, what this guy's deal is and what he's up to. And Paul throws down the trump card. He says, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen that has not been found guilty? And they're like, wait, what? So, so essentially Paul's like, I'm not just a Jew, I'm a Roman citizen, and you can't do this to a Roman citizen. And so the commander of the army is like, oh no, this is not good. You know, I can't flog this guy. He's a Roman citizen. He deserves a fair trial. I can't just beat a, a, a Roman citizen at, that who has not been found guilty. And so Acts 22, we're going to just read the, the last part of Acts 22, verse 30. It says this, the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews. It's like, what in the world's going on here? And so the next day, he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. And then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. So there's a whole lot of political unrest. There's a whole lot of rioting. The people in Jerusalem are all like, you know, they're they're upset. And this Roman commander is still wondering, what did this guy do? What is the deal here? Nobody can give me an answer. He's asking them, what did this guy do? And they're like, kill him! You know, rid the earth of him. And they're like, he's like, yes, but what did he do? Nobody can really answer. This angry mob is just hysterically yelling out to just kill him, but he can't do that because he's a Roman citizen. And so, so the Roman commander's like, look, we're going to just get the Sanhedrin together, which is like the ruling council of the Jews, like the, the kind of the lawyers, all these people. He's like, we're going to get the, the Sanhedrin together. But this is a huge council. This isn't like, oh, like six or seven guys, you know, and their little like, you know, cloaks and all that. There's 71 men on this council. He's like, y'all are getting together. 
this is a, this is a Jewish problem. This is not my deal. You're all going to have to figure this thing out. So he, he convenes it, which is kind of weird because normally the Jews would convene the Sanhedrin. But he's like, no, y'all are getting together. You're going to figure this thing out. So 71 guys, they get in the room. And he's like, you're going you're to have to talk about this. And I want you to see how Paul addresses the Sanhedrin. The 71 men. Watch how Paul acts in the midst of a politically charged climate. Now, I know that none of us can completely understand what it would be like to live in a politically charged climate. Right? I mean, we can't relate. I mean, America 2021, we're all like, oh, patty cake with everybody, right? I mean, no, no big deal, right? So, like, I just want you to see this. There's a whole lot of stuff going on. There's political turmoil and riots and everything going on. I know we can't relate to any of this. And so this is how he, he responds. Acts 23, verse 1. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin, and he says, my brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. That, that one statement, how he begins this whole address to the Sanhedrin, essentially he's saying, like, I have done what God has called me to do, and my heart is clean. And I think, isn't that exactly what every single one of us is called to? I've done what it is that God has called me to do, and as far as it depends on me, I have done it with a clean heart. This is what he's, he's addressing them. Here, here's the thing that I think is good for every single one of us, is that you are not called to perfection. God is under no illusion that you're anything close to that. That's good news for you, right? He's, no, he's not like, man, I thought, that, I thought Susie was, was perfect. No, he knows that you're not, and he's, he's not calling you to that. But what he does call every single one of us to is we are all called to be obedient We're all called to follow God's leading. We're all called to honor God's word. We're all called to do whatever he has called us to as far as it depends on you. And he says, he writes this in Romans chapter 2. Paul writes, verse 14, Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written where? In their hearts. For their own conscience and and thoughts either accuse them or tell them that they're doing right. It's this idea, and he's reminding the the Romans here as he writes it. He's reminding, I think he's even talking to the Sanhedrin and reminding every single one of us. He's putting into words something that we kind of know instinctively as Christians, and it is this. When the Holy Spirit lives in you, you have a Spirit-inspired conscience that will tell you if you're doing right or wrong. And maybe you didn't read it in the Bible and you don't have a chapter and a verse, but you're just like, man, I don't, I don't know. I was thinking about cheating on my taxes coming up because everyone does it, but I kind of just like stinking Jesus. He's telling me I shouldn't do it. I was just thinking about doing this thing, but I don't, I, I don't know. I was, I was praying about it and there's something that just will not allow me. I was, I was going to ask, you know, I was going to call in sick rather than ask for vacation day because I know they won't give it to me, but I just, I can't just, I can't just lie. Like it's this, this thing that once the spirit of God lives in you, whether it's written in the Bible or it's written on your heart, we walk in obedience to it, or we have a choice to walk in obedience to it, whether we're going to listen to it or not. As long as you keep your heart clean, that's the biggest thing. Because we can, we can be saved, we can attend church, 
for years. And, and our hearts can become seared. Our consciences can become seared by willful sin in our life. Whether that's unforgiveness or bitterness or pride, it can actually cause us to have spiritual heart disease. I have a friend of mine that says this all the time. The first point is this, that it's always about your heart. It's always about your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Which means that, that you can be a Christian and you can even know the word of God. But if you're not guarding your heart, if you're not submitting your heart to the spirit of God, then you can be led astray. Paul writes it this way in Romans 1 verse 21. He says, for all that, although they knew God, catch this, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But watch what happens when they're not guarding their hearts. Their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Isn't that interesting? That your foolish heart can, can be darkened. So I was thinking about it this week and um, I was thinking that like our our hearts can look a whole lot like a window. A lot of times we think like, oh, well, no, like your, your heart is just either is either tainted or it's redeemed. But like, no, the reality is, is your heart is just, it's just a window. A clean window lets the light in and a dirty window hinders the light going through it. There's this um, translation I was talking with a friend of mine, Jeremy, and um, we were reading Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9, which many of you have heard it before, and it says this, that your heart is, above all else, desperately wicked. It's kind of like, they've kind of taken that out of context, and the reality is it's really just one word that it says, above all else, desperately wicked, and it's this word, anosh, which simply means sick, frail. So the reality is that every single one of us, as we, as we come to Jesus, our hearts are windows, and there are things that, well, that dirty and can cloud our hearts. <laughs> I know, it's really gross. Um, the thing is this, that sometimes stuff happens to us. Sometimes people do things in our life. And um, sometimes it's things that we've, willful choices that we've made on our own. And as we continue in them, we realize time and time again that it becomes more and more difficult for us to be able to see through, to see the light, either to see truth rightly or to see ourselves clearly if we're not guarding our hearts. And so things like this, they just kind of continue to happen time and time and time again. And as we, as we move forward in life, we, we realize more and more and more that if we're not guarding our heart, if we're not keeping our hearts clean, the reality is, is that we want to make this into a sin issue, but it's really a heart issue. So when we, when we have these things, this is kind of the, the understanding of like, when we look at maybe even the church in America today, or even maybe even some of our own lives, where we have willful sin in our life that we just kind of wink at and we act like it's okay. It's not a sin issue, it's a heart issue because we're not seeing things clearly. We're not seeing truth rightly, and we're not seeing ourselves clearly. And so when, when the light of the Word of God tries to shine through, we're not seeing it the way that it should be, because we're not guarding our hearts. And so the question is this, like, how do we, 
then wash our window? How do we clean our hearts? How do we guard our hearts? And so many times we think, like, I just got to do a bunch of good works. Like, if I could just do enough good works, this is going to make it better, right? Like, I'm just going to keep, if I could just do enough good works, then, then this is going to make my heart clean. If I could just, you know, but here's, here's the problem. The Bible says that our good works are like filthy rags. And so when we think like, oh, I, I've got this, this, this heart issue. I'm, I'm seeing things not clearly. My identity is being ruled by the things that, that, that things have happened to me in my past, the abuse that has happened to me or the mistakes or sin that I've walked in. This is what defines me. And so I know what's going to fix it. If I just try to be a good enough person, I can override this thing and it's going gonna, it's gonna to clean my heart up. The interesting thing is this. I was, I was reading this week and it's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26. It says this, We are made clean by the washing of water by the word. We are made clean by the washing of the water of water by the word. So the reality is this. When the word of God begins to take place in our life, all of a sudden you realize that the things that used to rule you, the things that used to define you, are cleaned. And it's not through your good works. And it's not through you trying harder. It's not through your friends telling me, like, I'm good enough, strong enough, and doggone people like me. It's through the Word of God washing our hearts and correcting wrong mindsets, correcting um, the, the lies that Satan has caused us to believe, either about ourselves or about life in general. And this is the, that's the interesting thing. I would, just, I would just encourage you to wash your windows. Get into the Word of God. This is why it is so important for us to not just use this as a doorstop, but be getting into the Word of God. And you'll be like, but I don't understand it. I, I, I was telling you, there's a lot of things that I don't understand in this. There's things that I'm still like, ah, I, just, I just don't get this. But the reality is the stuff that I do get is very transformational in our life. Because the Word of God, once it gets into you, changes you from the inside out. Wash your windows with the Word. That is the only thing that can correct wrong mindsets and wrong identity in our life. A clear window lets the light in, and a dirty window gets darker and darker and darker. So wash your window. Allow the light of the Word to, to shine into those dark places. Allow the, 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 the water to wash off the condemnation that has been tried to define you your entire life and allow the word of God to wash you and make you clean. It's what, it's what Paul writes later on. It's essentially, it's in this way that you will not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How? Through the Holy Spirit, the written word of God and the word of God written in your heart. This is why we need to continually be in God's word so that we can see truth rightly and see ourselves clearly. Because on the day of judgment, let me, just, let me just be honest, on the day of judgment, you're not going to stand before me. And you're not going to stand before people that agree with you or people that disagree with you. You're not going to be standing before Republicans or Democrats. I know. It's pretty crazy, huh? You're not, you're not going to be standing before people who you try to compare yourself to to be like, well, you know, they're really dirty. God, you should probably pay attention to them because they got, they're, they're messed up. And don't, don't look at me. Look at them. 
You stand before the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the, the, the God of all creation. God alone is who we stand before. And I pray that for each and every single one of us, that we can say the same thing that Paul did before the Sanhedrin, which is, I have fulfilled my duty before God in all good conscience to this day. I'm not perfect, but as far as it depends on me, I have lived with a clear heart before God. I think, I think that's what, what God looks for. Well done, good and faithful servant. You didn't do this thing perfectly, but, but you were earnest in it, and you kept your heart clean. Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? He continues. <laughs> I'll just say this. As much as we're like, amen, Ananias was not like, amen. Ananias was the, uh, well, he's the chief priest. And it's verse 2, it says, At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. He didn't like it. This must have been one of the most awkward slaps. I'm just, I, was, I think this through. Like, I mean, you got 71 guys, Ananias is like, slap him on the face. And you got two Roman soldiers standing and it's like, so are you going to, or was, was that, was he talking to me? Am I, am I? It's kind of awkward because I'm a lefty, so I can't really, it's hard. And you, you're much better. I've seen you slap before and it sounds so much better. It echoes. So if you could do it. Anyway, one of them decides, they're like, one, two, three, go. You know, and then the one slaps him in the face. And at that moment, I want you to see how Paul re responds. Verse 3, Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. And then he goes on, you sit there to judge me according to the law, and yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. <laughs> I just love the fact that, that Paul just gets finished telling the Sanhedrin about his clean heart. I just, I just, I've done everything that God has told me to do, and I do it with a clean conscience, and I've got a clean heart in this. And the next thing he says is like, God's going to smite you, you bleepity bleeper, right? Like, he's just like, freaks out. I love the fact that Paul is human. He's just like you and me, and he doesn't do this thing perfectly. In fact, he just showed us how he didn't do it perfectly. It just in the same breath, one moment he's like, I've done this and I've got a clear conscience, guys. I've done everything God's told me to do. And yeah, I'm going to go, you. Yeah! Right? I mean, he's just literally like, he's just, he just comes unhinged. But we would do the exact same thing, wouldn't we? If I came up and slapped you across the face, you wouldn't be like, thank you, sir. I might have another. <laughs> you wouldn't. You probably have it in more colorful language. You wouldn't be calling me a whitewashed wall. What does that even mean, right? Like, you'd have more colorful language. Why? You'd be like, because my window's still dirty, so bring it on, right? <laughs> Right? But this is, the, this is the reality. Like, he's, he's a human being just like you and, and me. And he goes on in verse 4. Those who were standing near Paul, they corrected him. They're like, how dare you insult God's high priest? Watch Paul's reply. Verse 5. Brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest. For it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. This is where many of us part ways with Paul. The dude gets slapped in the face. Just, just remember, the crowd almost beat him to death and then were throwing dirt in the air and saying, get rid of this guy. And then he is ordered to get slow motion slapped in the face. And he still manages to respect the high priest who ordered it. Like, even in the midst of being dishonored, 
Paul still chooses to be honorable. How in the world does he do this? Because what we know about Ananias, this guy that like ordered him to be slapped, he's not a good guy. This high priest dude is not a good guy. We know from Josephus, who wrote a, uh, the history of, of what was going on around that time, that Ananias stole money. Like, he was corrupt. He was stealing from the other priests. He was not a good man. So how does Paul honor authority even when the authority is dishonorable? It's a great question, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's a really great question. And I think it's this. It's because he honors the word of God over the person. This is what we're all called to do. We want to make it about the person. We want to make it about that, that person, that boss, that, that president, that, that whatever. And I, the, the hard part, and this is where we part ways, I, I'm going to say, like, he honors the word of God over the person. So he's honoring the authority of Scripture, and Scripture says to honor the office, and so Paul chooses to respect the position even though Ananias is not a respectable person. I don't see anyone waving hankies at that, right? Because this is the, this is what, what we face today is the very same thing with your bosses, with our leaders, with our presidents, depending on who we wanted in the office at any given time. And I think what we're confronted with is that it is always about the heart. And what we fail to be able to do well in our culture today, I would say inside and outside of the church, is to be able to disagree and not disrespect. Instead, we, we get into our corners and we, we shoot torpedoes over to the other side rather than having conversations and to be able to see things differently politically and still be able to honor and respect each other as human beings. And so... The hard part is what we see here, what Paul's exhibiting is lost on many of us today. I'm going to say this, and I'll, I'll say it again because I want you to be fully offended, is this, that what we see Paul doing is this. You are to show respect even if they don't deserve it, not as a reflection of their character, but as a reflection of yours. I'll say it again. You're to show respect to others, even if they don't deserve it, not as a reflection of their character, but as a reflection of yours. Because this thing, this, this thing we see in Paul, this thing we see in Jesus, this thing we see all throughout the Bible is that humility is the surest sign of strength. And it doesn't seem like it is. Because we look around at our world and it seems like pride is surely the surest sign of strength, right? You see people that are pride, prideful, arrogant, and you're like, man, they got it all together. They got everything going on. And we're intimidated by people that act in prideful ways or in arrogant ways. And we're just like, man, I'm just, not, I'm just not worthy. But what we see time and time again in the kingdom of God is that pride is actually not our greatest strength. It is our greatest weakness. It's what caused Satan to fall. Pride is our greatest weakness, and humility is the surest sign of strength. So you want to be strong in the kingdom of God, walk in humility. But it seems like I'm kind of getting beat up. I, I know. 
That's why it is completely countercultural. That's why we live in an upside-down kingdom. That pride is always concerned with being right, and humility is always concerned with doing the right thing. Even if. He continues in verse 6. I'm going to read uh, four, four verses or so in here. He says, then, then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and others Pharisees, so it's a split. You get Republicans and Democrats. Um, they called out, he called out in the Sanhedrin, my brothers, I'm a Pharisee. Descended from Pharisees, I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. And when he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. Why? Because the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and that there are no angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees believe all of these things. There was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. All of a sudden, the Pharisees are like, this is my man. I like this guy, Paul. And they say, we find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel had spoken to him? And the dispute became so violent. I, I am also imagine like the Pharisees are pulling him and, and the Sadducees are, are trying to pull him. And it says, what, it says the dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them. And he ordered the troops to go down and to take him by force and bring him into the barracks. And so they're like, the commander's like, seriously, I thought this whole Sanhedrin thing was going to be better, and now all of a sudden it just breaks up, and this is yet again, Paul is like, I can't even preach a stinking message. I can't even say something without people saying, kill him, or trying to tear me apart, right? He, he must be thinking, as any of us would be, this is not going the way that I thought it was going to be. And he must be thinking, because any of us would be, maybe I heard God wrong, like, I was compelled all through this last third missionary journey. We read about this. He was compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And everybody was like, don't go, don't go. I'm telling you, prison and hardship are awaiting you. And he's like, I know, but I'm supposed to go. I just know that God has a plan for me. And they're like, I'm telling you, I, just got, a, I got a vision last night in prison and hardship, don't go. And he's probably thinking, I probably should have listened to them. These are my friends, and they probably were looking out for me because this doesn't seem to be going the way that anybody thought it was going to go. I can't, even, I can't even get a sentence out before they want to kill me. This is not the way I thought it was going to be. And just as he's thinking this, verse 11, the following night the Lord stood near Paul. He has a, a vision or a reality, I don't know, where the Lord was standing right near him. Why? Because God always seems to show up in crisis. He shows up in the midst of the seasons of life where we need him the most. And look at what Jesus says to Paul. He says, take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, you must also testify in Rome. That's it. So I find this interesting, this little detail that I was, as I was studying this week that I, that I found, is that Paul was most likely in the very same prison that was in Acts chapter 12, where Peter was locked up in it. It was called the Antonia Fortress in Jerusalem. I don't know if they're in the same cell. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying they're, in, they're most likely in the very same prison, Peter and, and Paul. And you re may remember what happened to Peter back in Acts chapter 12. Peter is in prison. He's chained between two guards. All of a sudden, a ninja angel shows up. You remember ninja angel we talked about in Acts chapter 12. Ninja angel shows up. And smacks him on the side. He says, get up, put your shoes on, get dressed, and follow me. 
And so Peter's like, what the what? Stands up, shackles fall off of his arms. The two guards still are asleep, and he just follows this angel out, and the iron gate goes like it's an automatic door, and they walk out, and he's free. It's like, you got to be kidding me. This is it's amazing. This is Acts chapter 12. This is Peter in the very same prison, and he and he's just walks out completely free. Now, here's the deal. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure Paul is super excited that Jesus is in his jail cell, right? I'm sure he's like, Jesus, oh my gosh, you're here. This is amazing. But it's a little bit different for Paul. The New King James Version puts it this way, that he doesn't say take courage. He literally says these words, be of good cheer, Paul. Cheer up, buttercup. That probably was not what Paul was hoping for. If I were Paul, I'd be thinking back to Acts chapter 12 and Peter, and I probably heard about the story as well. It's pretty amazing. Guy gets out of jail. I'd probably be thinking, ah, Jesus, so good to see you. (laughs) Yay. But could you send Ninja Angel in here? Because I'd love to just, if you could do that whole like picky-locky thing, I don't know, that'd be awesome right? Because you did it for, for Peter. Remember? Remember that happened? Um, if you could just send Ninja Angel, that's kind of what I, what, I was, what I was hoping for, but that's not Paul's story. That, that, that sometimes God sends Ninja Angels in to pick locks for us, and sometimes he shows up personally to speak courage into us so that we can walk through hardships. The third point is this, that do not let the noise of the crowd distract you from the voice of God. And I say this because it's so important It's specific times in our life that we get God's voice on this, that we get God's word on this. Why? Because God's word, every word of God, has the power within itself to fulfill itself. So I want you to understand this. When, when Jesus speaks to the wind and waves and says, Be still, the wind and waves obey him. When he says, be made whole, healing happens. When he says, take courage, all of a sudden, something is imparted into you where you're just like, I, I know that I know that I know that he is with me. And Paul would later write, Romans 8.31, he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Yeah, I, I want you to understand, he's not saying like, Paul, smile more. Cheer up, buttercup. It's okay. Give me a smile. Give me a little smile, Paul. No, he's saying take courage. And there was something in his words that imparted strength into him for the journey. I want you to understand that like when Jesus speaks to you, it's not just like, yeah, you know what? You can do this. You're smart enough. Doggone it. People like you. No, it is very word that speaks strength into you to be able to walk this thing out. And so when he says take courage, I'm telling you, courage just took. That's the beauty of the word of God. When I'm talking about like wash your window, I'm not saying like, yeah, so then you can see clearly and it's not all gross. I'm saying so that you can see truth rightly and see yourself clearly. All of a sudden it changes your identity. All of a sudden you see your situation differently. All of a sudden your circumstances pale in comparison to the joy set before you in Christ. It changes the way that we see things. Philippians chapter 1 says this in verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else 
that I'm in chains for Christ. Do you see what he just said there? He's like, it's become clear to all the, all my, the other the guy in the cell next to me and these guys that are chained to me. It's become very clear to them that I'm in chains for Christ. Do you realize that Paul, even though he was in prison, did not see himself as a prisoner? You realize that even though he was um, shackled, he never saw himself as, un, as, as hindered. He was like, no, I, it's become very clear that I'm, I'm in chains for Jesus. Like, he's winning the guards to Jesus. He's still continuing to minister the gospel even in prison. He is still even of good cheer, even when his situation looks dismal. Why? Because he knew that Jesus was with him. And it was literally the only thing that mattered. That's it. Verse 12. I'm going to end with this thing. Verse 12 through 14. It gets worse. <laughs> You're like, oh man, this is, this is rough stuff. Acts chapter 23, verse 12. The next morning, some Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath. I don't know if they made them like blood brothers or whatever they did. Not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men were involved in this plot, and they went to the chief priests and the elders and said, we've taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we've killed Paul. So 40 guys band together, and they're like, I, I don't know who, who had the, the, the awesome idea. They're just like, you know what? We've got to kill him. We've got to kill him. We've got to do this thing. So he gets 40 of his friends, and they just went on a, I don't know, a rager or something, and they're like, you know what? We're, gonna, we're not going to eat or drink until we kill this guy. It's, it's, it's going to happen. Have you ever noticed that some of the, no, most of the dumbest things you've ever done usually begin with a story. I had these friends. You ever notice that? I mean, I know you've done a lot of stupid by yourself, but like the dumbest things that you've done, man, stupid loves company, doesn't it? Like you just like all of a sudden, like I had these friends and it weren't the greatest influence on my life. Um, why? Because bad ideas gain traction in groups. All of a sudden, one guy has the idea. Before you know it, you got 40 guys that are like, we're not eating or drinking until we murder this dude. In other words, like, we're going to murder Paul. These are good Jewish Christians. We're going to murder Paul, even though the Word of God says not to murder. But we're going to do it in God's name, so that's all good. Right? We're going to help him out. I'm gonna, he's going to murder him. I'm going I'm, I'm to help, right? I'm getting hungry. This is where you, you go, like, because stupid loves company. The, the fourth point is this, that following the crowd will lead you to do foolish things. It's just true. I mean, how screwed up is this? These guys are literally like, we're going to fast to kill a guy. We're going to we're gonna, we're gonna honor God by sinning. We're going we're gonna to do this thing. They're, they're literally thinking that they're honoring God by sinning. They're zealous and they're committed, but they're still wrong. Amen? Isn't it interesting that we, can, we feel like sometimes our passion means that it's, that it's right? I'm just telling you, you can be passionate about something and be passionately wrong. Well, but, but uh, passion, but, but I'm just telling you, God cares about your feelings and your passion, but it does not dictate his truth. And so these guys are, are passionately wrong. <laughs> Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to pause here. <laughs> these, um, these guys, I want to go back over the four points today. Because here's the thing that I would love 
I know that every single one of us is in uh, a sticky situation, whether that's at work, in our marriage, in our family, with our friends, co-workers, whatever this looks like for you, I just know that every single one of us can relate to being in a sticky situation. So let me go over these four points. The first one is this. It's about, always about the heart. It's always about the heart. Which one is God speaking to you about? It's always about the heart. Number two, humility is the surest sign of strength. Number three, don't let the noise of the crowd distract you from hearing the voice of God. And number four, following the crowd will lead you to do foolish things. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about today? In the situation that maybe you're like, well, this is Paul's story. This isn't my story. I know, but, but it always is part of our story. Because he lives and walks and moves and breathes in the same world and has the same struggles that every single one of us do. What is the one thing that the Holy Spirit is just encouraging you into? Maybe it's the first thing. Maybe you need to get into the Word of God again. Or maybe for the first time. Maybe you, you need to allow the Word of God to wash you. Because it's got to get it on the inside of you. You need to wash your windows because they've gotten darkened. And whether it's like how you view what God is doing in your own life or how you view your own identity, I just want to encourage you to wash your heart with the Word of God. And, and, and I'm just going to say this, like there's only one person who can do that for you. You. Get into the Word of God. And you're like, well, I don't, I don't understand it. I'm just telling you that what you will understand will change your life. And the rest, just move on. <laughs> it seems almost like I have no idea what that means. But I'll tell you, God will begin to change you from the inside out through the washing of water by the word. The second thing is, humility is a sure sign of strength. Maybe you need to start walking in the strength of humility rather than the weakness of pride. So that I know you can fight and you can manipulate and you can control and you can grapple and all of those things, but maybe you just choose to just trust God in the midst of difficulty and be reminded that unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers work in vain. I give it to you, Jesus. I'm going to choose to walk in humility. I'm going to choose to honor even, even though they don't deserve it. Why? Because it's, it's, not, it's not an indication of their character. It's an indication of, of mine. The third one is this, that don't let the noise of the crowd distract you from hearing the voice of God. Maybe, maybe you've allowed the, the noise of the crowd to distract you from hearing his voice. And maybe he's been trying to speak to you, but honestly, you haven't even turned off the radio or slowed down or, or turned off your device or turned off the TV and just been in his presence in an unanxious place in, well, it's been way too long, let's just say that. I don't remember the last time I just was in his presence. Maybe you just need to shut down and listen. And the fourth one is this. Following the crowd will lead you to do foolish things. Maybe you're following the wrong crowd. 
I mean, you've got some friends that you just know are leading you into foolishness. You're not a fool, but the Bible says that a friend of fools suffers harm. And you're like, I'm feeling the harm, right? And you're finding yourself becoming the average of the top five people that you hang out with the most, and you're realizing, I need to up my average. I need to intentionally surround myself with some godly relationships. Why? So that I'm not... They're not leading me into foolishness, but they're, they're pushing me into righteousness. That, that, that I'm literally not in the relationships that are tearing me down, but they're building me up to look more and more like Christ. So what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about today? And if you find yourself in this place, I just want to encourage you to do one thing. Do it today. Because someday never comes. Do you realize that? I got a whole bunch of things planned for someday. And I've never seen it come up on my calendar. We got we have great intentions, but the reality is, is that someday never comes. Do it today. Put, put, some, put the thing in place. Open up your Bible. Make the phone call. Book the retreat. Turn off the device. Whatever it is that God's calling you to do, I just encourage you, just do it. Just do it. And do it today. So Lord, as we praise you, as we worship you this morning, I pray that you would speak to your people, that it would be clear. Lord, as we walk through a season of turmoil in our world or in our marriages or in our families or in our workplaces, Lord, I pray that we would learn from this amazing man named Paul of how to walk through really, really difficult seasons. I pray that we would walk through it so at the end of our days, we could say the same thing that he says, that I've done everything that God has called me to do with a clear conscience to this day. So Lord, we we, we haven't done this thing perfectly, but Lord, I pray that you would guard our hearts in the midst of it and we worship you. With, let's lift his name up high, church. Thank you, Lord.